Welcome to the Arise podcast. I'm Tanya Anderson, CEO at Arise. It's my pleasure to have with me today, Lindsay Miller, who is the Executive Director of the New York Association for Independent Living, otherwise known as NIAL. Welcome, Lindsay. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So Arise is an independent living center, which means that we have a special designation that we work with people of all ages and all disabilities. And um, we are not the only independent living center, certainly in the state or in the country. And Lindsay, your job is to really harness all of the activity of the ILCs that we call them into a cohesive unit. Can you describe what Niall is all about? Yeah, sure. So we're the membership association for independent living centers across New York State. Um, There are 41 state-funded independent living centers that collectively have over 50 offices serving most of New York State, you know, obviously some areas better than other. Um, and we can kind of get into the, the funding discussion a little bit later. Um, and as you said, ILCs are, you know, specifically designated in state law. They're the only disability led network of centers. So that means that the majority of the board and the majority of the staff of independent living centers are comprised of people with disabilities themselves. Um, they all have a set of core services that they're required to provide, but then the services really vary based on the needs of the individual community. Um, I always say independent living centers are not um, not supposed to be a one-size-fits-all. They're really supposed to respond to the needs of the community and make sure that there's no gaps in services and that there's choice available for individuals and the services that they do uh, need and, and want to access. That makes a lot of sense because, you know, as an independent living center with, you know, RISE, for example, everyone that comes to us has their own unique situation. They have the power to decide what they want in terms of services and supports. And what you're doing, what I'm hearing is that you're you're scaling that up on a statewide level that every ILC is also uniquely responsive to its community. Yeah, absolutely. As the association, we obviously bring the centers together at the statewide level um, to help have a unified voice, both about uh, the needs of the organizations themselves, but also the people with disabilities that we serve. I think we're one of the only um, organizations and associations out there that's really representing all people with disabilities, all ages, um, you know, it's not diagnosis specific. Um, and so in addition to doing advocacy at the state level, uh, we're also, you know, helping support our member centers through technical assistance and facilitating some peer support. And then we also help administer some statewide programs in collaboration with our member centers. Right. And Niall does a lot to support the different centers. Can you talk a little bit about some of the overriding issues that you see across the membership, the the needs that you advocate for on a statewide level? Sure. So one, I mean, obviously one of the biggest issues that we're advocating for is funding for our centers. Um, As I mentioned, we're the only disability-led network in the state. Um, Our kind of unique from the history of when ILCs were created at the federal level, we're located in the state education budget. Um, So because of that, we're kind of pushed aside a little bit. Uh, We're not, you know, uh, included with all the other human service agencies when there's um, advocacy and funding increases for cost of living or um, just kind of supporting the human service network as a whole. Um, So a big part of what we do is advocacy on behalf of our member centers to make sure that they're adequately funded. The funding has been stagnant for so long um, and, you know, we we make small strides here and there, but it really hasn't been adequate to keep up with the needs that we know exist in the community, uh, you know, especially post-COVID with, um, you know, so many disabilities and kind of shining the light on uh, the 
the barriers and the issues with institutional care versus really supporting people in the community. Um, and then we have, you know, we have a robust policy agenda and budget advocacy agenda that focuses on really all areas that impact people with disabilities. So obviously health, uh, employment, transportation, election reform, education, I'm sure I'm missing housing, that's a big one. Um, so we, we have public policy committees in, in all of those subject areas and we come up with priorities both uh, during budget season and legislative season to try to kind of help impact some system change for both the people we serve and our member centers. That's a that's a lot. And so I'm going to unpack that a little bit. <laughs> so in terms of the funding, what is the statewide funding for ILCs? The statewide funding currently is at 16 million and that's funding 41 independent living centers. So when you do the math, the funding is really doesn't go very far across those 41 centers. And you've said 16, one six. Yes. <laughs> not 60. So people hear the number correctly. Correct. <laughs> yeah. And that is that is not a lot given the the scope of the work that we have to do. It's that's um that's pretty amazing. And then some of the policy initiatives, um, what seems to be that's at the forefront right now in terms of issues. I mean, all those issues are obviously very important. Yeah, I would say definitely the biggest issue the last couple of years has been um, advocating for increased wages for home care workers. So Niles is a steering committee member for the Fair Pay for Home Care campaign. Um, so, you know, there's been a lot of kind of press around this, but a lot of the focus is often on DSPs or which are direct support providers in the OPWD and OMH system, um, but then kind of the other bucket that we're really active in is in the long-term care system. So for um, home care aides that are supporting people with disabilities in their personal care needs um, in the community, the uh, obviously that's integral to supporting people with disabilities in the community, and the wages have been pretty stagnant um, over the years, while at the same time, obviously, we've seen inflation and cost of living go up, um, but then we've also seen increases in minimum wage. So, um, you know, now you find that home care workers can kind of make the same amount of money going to work at a fast food restaurant. Um, so it's really hard to, uh, you know, get people into that career field and to support them. Um, so that's been a major issue that we've been active in. We made some some progress the last couple of years, but it's definitely not enough to make it, um, you know, to really make sure that the uh, the workforce that is needed is there. Right. And that uh, the point about the, the wages for home care workers is so important because you had mentioned, you know, the importance of the work of the ILCs during the pandemic, because what we do every day is try to keep people out of an institutional setting and keep them safe and independent in the community. That became even more critical during COVID when nursing homes and other institutions really became hotbeds for um, for the disease, unfortunately. And so in, the, in order to keep people safe in the community, we need direct care workers who are doing very difficult work. And as you had said, for basically a minimum wage. Do you think that there's been any headway in decision makers really understanding the importance of the direct care work that's happening in our communities? Um, I 
I think they understand it. I think, you know, obviously there's a big price tag associated with um, the the wage increases that we really need to see. And the workforce has grown so significantly. So, you know, when you do the math, it really it makes for a big price tag in, in the state. Um, I think there's also a little bit of an expectation of seeing more uh, support from informal, you know, caregivers. So having family members support uh, their loved ones. Um so it's a battle. It's certainly a battle. And obviously going into this year, you know, we're hearing in the news that there's um, budget constraints because of, uh, you know, issues with the economy and, and tax revenue. So it'll be interesting to see how things play out. Um, I th- definitely think the understanding is there, but whether there's the willpower uh, to make something happen, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Right. And I hear it's a big price tag, but isn't the price tag to have someone live at an institution greater? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's the point we always we try to make. And, you know, certainly in COVID, I think it shined a light on the fact that it's really not a safe place. I think there's a misconception that you're getting one on one care there. And that's certainly not um, not the case, as most of us know. Um, you know, there were a significant amount of deaths uh, in, you know, during COVID in nursing homes. Um, but unfortunately, you know, we, we've kind of backfilled those beds now and the institutional capacity in, in the state, you know, remains the same when we really like to see some of those funds uh, shift to the community and support people in the community where we know they're safer and where they want to be. Absolutely. So, which brings me to another point in that a lot of times the, the name of independent living center makes people think it's some sort of residential place or a assisted living place or something like that. Are are you working on a statewide level to try to educate folks about what ILCs really do? Yes, that's actually a new initiative that we're working on. We're really trying, uh, we're getting ready to launch a statewide campaign that will um, kind of have two core components. One is really increasing brand awareness about what independent living centers are and helping to shape that, mis- you know, kind of address that misconception that we're not a residential facility and that um, our mission and the services that we offer are really about supporting people in the community, regardless of age, regardless of disability, services are free. Um, and then the other thing is really helping to do some direct outreach to populations that we know are considered under or unserved by the the network so that we're making sure our services are really uh, reaching everyone that they should be and that we know you know would benefit from our services. Right, right. And one of the things you had mentioned when you talked about the various initiatives um, of ILCs and also NIAL is uh, the peer support concept. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, um, like I said, the majority of uh, staff at independent living centers are people with disabilities themselves. So they have lived experience, whether it be accessing the service system, um, advocating, you know, for themselves uh, when trying to uh, find employment and, you know, knowing their rights, um, you know, whether it's working through the education system as a person with disability. Um, So just having that lived experience and peer support um, goes a long way, you know, with people with disabilities. And I think that's what makes us unique and what makes our services uh, so powerful and and so uh, successful. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of power, I mean, you have You have done a lot in your tenure as executive director in terms of raising the profile and really growing NIL. How long have you been in this role? I have been at the association for 15 years. I've been executive director um, for about eight, I think. I haven't done the math on that one. (laughs) Wow. And what, what drives you to do this work? 
Um, you know, so I, in my training, I, I got a master's in public health. I was always really interested in health policy and advocacy. Um, and that's kind of how I ended up at Nile as uh, an advocacy coordinator. Um, I didn't grow up with um, any personal, you know, disability or personal experience with disability. I've since, um, you know, I, I have had thyroid cancer. I have uh, many chronic health conditions. Um, you know, I always say like, I haven't experienced the discrimination that many people with disabilities that have visible disabilities that have grown up uh, with the disability have experienced, but I certainly have a personal passion, um, you know, to advocate on behalf of people and their right to choose and their right to get the services that they need and want and to live in the community. And that's wonderful. And it's difficult work, you know, if you just think about the funding question, for example, and advocating for the funding. Do you ever get discouraged? And if you do, what makes you keep going? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I would say, yes, there have definitely been years where it's been very discouraging and we feel like we're not making any movement. I think there's been a bit of a tidal, uh, you know, tidal wave or change in the last uh, couple of years here in New York State. Um, you know, obviously we got a new governor in the last couple of years and there's been um, a, a strong commitment to to support people with disabilities and to disability rights. We've seen the creation of the Office of the Chief Disability Officer at the state level. Um, we've already seen in one year that office, you know, double its staff size and grow. Um, so there seems to be some attention and some, um, some more willingness to engage with us and to really help um, you know, move the needle on some of our issues. So we've we've made some some minor headway in terms of funding for some of the programs that we advocate for. So I'm feeling more hopeful these last couple of years and feel like uh, there's some some momentum and ability to really impact some systems change in the in the coming years. Wonderful. Well, Lindsay, thank you for what you do every day for Arise as an ILC for all of our partner ILCs throughout the state, and and you are changing the world in a really positive, um, direct way. And oh, thanks, thanks for what you I do. Think you guys are all doing at that, that at the local level for sure. <laughs> We're all together. Great. Thank you. Thank you. For more information on how you can support Arise, visit our website at ariseinc.org. Support Arise, support independence.